Before we begin, I would like to emphasize that this podcast is separate from my teachings and work at Del Seton Medical Center. Any discussions we have on this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and in no way connected to Del Seton Medical Center. In, inevitably, I feel that you face some adversity. And, and that adversity can come in many shapes and forms, right? right? The, the more you do, the more more you want to achieve, the more you want to push, the more the world will push back. Okay. Don't so, worry about the city. Don't worry about the paycheck. Just worry about who's going to be your boss. Two vascular surgeons walk into a bar and come out with a podcast. We are talking everything vascular and not. Welcome to the Life of Flow podcast. Welcome, everybody, another episode of Life of Flow. Today, we have Dr. Lorenzo Patron, who is a consultant interventional radiologist working out of the United Kingdom, but today enjoying his vacation in Genoa. But thankfully, he joined us, my co-host, Dr. Lucas Ferrer, and myself, Miguel Montero Baker, talking about adversity in healthcare, in your work, in your daily uh, operations. And I think it's a, crucial for everybody to listen in and to gather maybe some tips that have helped us along the way. And hopefully they can help you too. Stay tuned. Let's go for it. This was a good one. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, everybody. Uh, welcome to yet another episode of Life of Flow. Uh, Miguel Montero Baker and my co-host, Dr. Lucas Ferrer. And today, uh, Lucas, I, I just have this immense pleasure of uh, bringing somebody that I look up to, that I admire in many ways, uh, for, for many, many reasons, but also somebody that I consider a good friend, uh, and that is Dr. Lorenzo Patron. Lorenzo is an interventional radiologist who lives in the UK, practices interventional radiology there. But today, uh, and as you can see with his uh, beautiful tanned skin, <laughs> he's uh, enjoying his vacation in Genova. So, uh, Lorenzo, welcome to the show. And thank you very much for uh, carving a few minutes to talk with us while you're on vacation. That's great, man. Yeah, thank you, Lorenzo. Yeah, I mean, it's usually I'm uh, never, but, you know, sometimes I need to do it. No, I mean, uh, I'm very grateful to you to have you invited me also because, I mean, what I appreciate from you and all your activities, not just looking at cases and looking at activity and looking at papers, just looking also at physicians uh, from a different angle. So from the angle of, you know, the human angle. So we're all humans, we're all human beings. We all have our struggles, which also, you know, don't usually correlate with work. And actually I'm pretty uh, curious to have a conversation with you today. Yeah, it's a, uh... It's a great point uh, in the sense that you would think that I'm welcoming Lorenzo to mm -hmm. talk about exuberant uh, transpedal mm -hmm. collateral access, which is probably what we talk about 99.9% .9 of the time. But it becomes so important for us to remember this emotional component that we all go through. Knowing you all very deeply, uh, that all of us here have had some moments of intense adversity in our careers. And that's kind of the topic that I wanted to bring to the table for, for our audience. There's, I'm sure, lots of people out there that are doing medicine. And it's a very tough road. You know, medical school, the training paradigms, the selection processes, the tests, 
And when you finally make it, right, when you're finally uh, an attending, what do you call it in, in the UK when you're an attending? A specialist. Let's say a specialist. It's worldwide recognized. Yeah. So you're finally ma make it and you're in your career, you're into first year, second, third, fourth, five. In inevitably, I feel that you face some adversity and, and that adversity can come in many shapes and forms, right? It could be tough cases. It can be tough relationships at work. You know, the intense time that you have off of your family and now that you have to integrate it, to, it comes in many flavors and many, and it's not, I don't necessarily need that we all dissect here exactly what it is that, mm -hmm. what, that happened to each of us at different times. But I want to talk more about how did it affect you at the time? And in many ways, how did you, if you have been able to maneuver it successfully, do it in order for potentially giving people that listen to us some ideas? Because I bet you today, right now, there is going to be listeners that are in the midst, in the peak, in the worst moment of their adversity with something going on at work, something going on at home. And it's interesting to just hear it from us that it's something that other people go through. And it's nice to just hear what's worked for you. And again, none of us are experts. <laughs> There's no psychologists in this room. But but I think it's just experience of people that have been dealing with it. So do you feel that adversity is an inevitable thing, Lorenzo? How frequently do you think that we deal with this? And what are your 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 kind of first thoughts when when you think about opening a, a this discussion? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great topic. I think, of course, adversity is part of life. I think there was a um, a comedian in the thirties in Italy who was saying, "Life is a moment of joy between different uh, many moments of adversity." So essentially, we we can also translate that to not only private life, also to work life. So essentially, sometimes <clears throat> it's easy to see people on stage you know, giving lectures, everything goes well, you, you're confident and, you know, it's it's just a tip of an iceberg because, I mean, behind all this, there's a lot of struggle and actually no one really usually talks about the struggle. Everyone needs to be invincible and to be like, we need all to be superheroes where actually we are more Clark Kent can, than uh, Superman, <laughs> I would say. And uh, of course, this applies to every kind of uh, moment of your life. Uh, the more you do, the more more you want to achieve, the more you want to push, the more the world will push back. So, I mean, in, uh, if our small experience is uh, is uh, relatively tough, I can't imagine what could have happened to people who are Nobel Prizes. You know, people will really push the world to be different or, I don't know, Mother Teresa or, you know, you, you can name it. You know, it can be people who really add an impact on uh, the world. Essentially, most of these people get the recognition which uh, they uh, should have uh, deserved later, even when they're dead. So essentially, it's, it's pretty frustrating if you want to put that in your everyday uh, life joy. And uh, But I mean, it happened to me, it happens to you, it happens to everyone, actually. Everyone has his own frustrations. Everyone... There are different levels of frustration. Of course, we can say, oh, okay, but I mean, why do you complain? I mean, you have to eat. There's people who don't eat. But people who don't eat, maybe they don't have the targets of getting much more than to eat. So every time we need to be sensitive enough to understand each other in their own environment. So everyone has his own expectations correlated to the position where they are. Of course, we need to be grateful for where, where, where we are because actually we are in this kind of uh, small percentage of people in the world already who are 
extremely uh, wealthy and successful. But at the same time, also, we need to understand each other, our own goals, our own expectations. I think this is the secret of life, to be as much empathic to the other ones as possible. When we face adversity in healthcare, in our work environment, it seems like there's a pretty quick reaction when there is any sort of accusation or any sort of process that's been initiated. The first thing is you get, you know, you get removed, right? I mean, they, they somehow curtail your ability to care for patients if somebody's raised a concern. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it happens even before there's even a process of what happened. Uh, was it a patient-related issue? Was it a, a you know a human resources issue? Was, was, you know, was it a personal issue? But immediately, it's almost like you know, you're taking out of the game until the problem can be solved. But the problem is that the people that are supposed to give solutions to your problem meet maybe once a month. <laughs> and so these things create a very long and very arduous process. And they have no idea what you do. It, it, and right. And so Most in a way, it's time. like you're, yeah. you're, they're clipping your wings and your ability to care yeah. patients while there's a due diligence or a process. They're like, I mean, what, yeah. what is an angioplasty? It's, it's, it's very, it's very, yeah. you know, for me, I mean, and I've been involved in some of these situations where, you know, all of a sudden it's like, Hey, there's this concern has been raised and now you're out of the game. And until mm-hmm. this gets resolved, your life gets put on hold. Essentially, yeah. you don't know, are, am I going to be able to practice? Am I going to be able to come back and take care of patients? What happens with my clinic? I've got 30 patients that are coming. I have surgeries next week. There's all these other things. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be some safety mechanisms, but it yeah. seems like very fast in healthcare. It, I don't know if you're if, if there's any concern, you immediately get kind of banned until there's a process. And I don't know, has that been your experience, uh, Lorenzo, too, in, in, in the UK? Maybe the, the US tends to be hyper-reactive, but I've been in situations where there was some concern and immediately, until further notice, you're asked to stop practicing yeah. because they don't know what's going on. There's, there has to be a process. There has to be a diligence. Is that something that happens also in Europe or has that also been something that happened to you, Lucas? I'm, I'm kind of curious if, if these processes have happened that way. I think it does. It does happen everywhere. Because, I mean, people are mainly concerned about safety. So essentially, uh, people usually, especially in the hospital, they don't care if you do an amazing case, you save a limb, you save a life, you save a bleeder, you save whatever. They mainly are worried if you, uh, for example, lose a piece of a little wire in a subintimal space in a, in, a, in a diesel vessel. So this is like it's far more important for a manager than, uh, you know, to do more patients. We don't really rely on data. So how many procedures I've done, you know, the more procedure, the more money. No, it's like if I do one procedure or 10 procedures, I'm paid the same. And actually there's no reason to overdo potentially because I mean, from the money point of view, from the respect that you get from your colleagues, there's no real reason, which could lead to a certain uh, laziness, I would say, in in the bigger scheme. Uh, of course, you know, the UK system is uh, uh, in this way, a bit more challenging compared to the Italian one, for example, the German one, because the Italian and the German have a a very hierarchic uh, structure. Essentially, there's a chief, and the chief is very important. I mean, the chief is uh, the one who is uh, 
having all the responsibilities from the clinical and also from the management managerial point of view. So essentially, this uh, chief uh, can be blamed if the things don't go well, uh, and the chief can be also protective if he or she thinks that things uh, shouldn't go in a certain way. For example, I'm giving you this example. If a, a clinician makes a mistake as a complication, which is one over a thousand, and uh, the chief uh, thinks that this guy is very good, is always uh, on, you know, on the top of the game, is always performing well, is safe, is good, is like a, he publishes, is, you know, is, is, let's say, a good clinician, then this chief can protect is uh, this uh, this person. Where instead in the UK system where you're a consultant, as a consultant, you're a group, you're part of a group of people who are actually, everyone is on the same level. There's very little that, you know, let's say the single person can do in order to protect you. You can't protect yourself being chiefos. So essentially when this happens, what usually people do, they don't stand up for anyone because I mean, this could be potentially dangerous for them. You know, that there's no incentive to say, okay, I mean, the situation is in a way that it shouldn't be. So essentially this is the game uh, uh, which is most difficult to play because I mean, sometimes uh, uh, people who are, of course, if you do a lot, you will always have people against you in a way or another. And many people, I would say, they can't say, oh, you are better doing this than me. They will say just, you're just crazy because it needs to justify uh, their, in a way, failures and your success is with like, okay, my is unsafe. So this is something that I think that many people face. And uh, this needs to be uh, said uh, loud and clear. Uh, at the same time, if you have to convince many people of the fact that you are doing something that it was okay, then it's more difficult than to convince a single one. On the other side, if you have an European model like Germany or Italy, where there's a chief, the chief can also be very unfair with you. So essentially, even if you didn't do anything, can be point at you, even if it's not uh, uh, needed. So there are pros and cons of every system. Of course, everyone experiences his own uh, his own uh, dramas and everyone complains about his own system. And everyone looks at the other system like, uh, you know, they would say the, the neighbor's uh, uh, grass is always greener. It's the same thing, you know, like you, you tend, especially when you're in a difficult situation to look at negatives instead of positives and you just stress this, uh, this uh, side. But, you know, as you said before, every kind of uh, moment where you stop and you are forced to stop in a way or another one needs to be taken, I think, as a possibility to stop mentally, physically, to look around, to maybe focus on different things, and then to start again with more experience. Because every little difficulty that we experience every day, I think needs to be taken as a, as a, as a growth. Because, I mean, experience is just the summa it's just you know adding a failure after failure and then you are an, an experienced guy you can experience can be have experience in life you can have experience in medicine but it's more or less the same thing it's just error after error you understand what's better for you and for the other people i'm involved in training residents and when we're talking about them going out in the world and this is something that dr Eunice told me and i listened to him he told me you're the most important thing about your first job is your boss. And he, because here in America, I mean, I think it, it can be a little mixed, but there are some places where, where you have a strong chief and uh, ethical, strong chief that will nurture you and guide you in those first couple of years of growth is 
extremely important. And one of the people that I will be eternally grateful my whole life is Mark Davies. Mark Davies was my first boss. And, you know, there are many good things. There's many flaws to Mark, Mark Davies, but Mark Davies was the best boss. He was, first of all, very relatable. I would be doing notes at the end of the day and we would just sit down and talk about like whatever for hours where I had to say, Mark, listen, dude, I, I need to go home. <laughs> you know. So first of all, we have, he was a person I, I developed a close relationship as a friend. We still talk. The other thing is that he watched out for me. He went in when I had difficult cases, he just showed up in the operating room, scrubbed in and, you know, help me do the case. Like, you know, I remember infected graphs, you know, things that are technically difficult at the end of the day, you know, on a Friday, doesn't matter. He was there. So you got help without asking. Without for asking yeah, for it. That's very important. And then, you know, when I came out, I was doing open DVAs. He, first of all, I said, Mark, I want to go to Link for a European conference. And he's like, oh, I don't know if we like, if a demonstration lets you go to European conference. I don't know. I'll find out. So he went in, he said, yeah, you can go. I come back. I see Marco Manzi doing like a endo DVA for the first time. And I come back and I say, Mark, I think we should do this. And he said, okay, let's do it. And he supported me. Uh, so he allowed me to grow that way. And many other things. Mark, Mark did a lot of good things. So that is such an important thing. Don't worry about the city. Don't worry about the paycheck. Just worry about who's going to be your boss. Is that somebody that somebody else that you respect is going to vouch for? That's very interesting because at the same time, it feels like a lot of these people in leadership that may hire you have their own political agenda. And if by any ways, and that's, I think, where you demonstrate whether this person is of, of the character that you thought it was or not. Because I feel that if you hire somebody, there's an inherent responsibility of seeing them through success, yeah. right? If I'm going to commit, and, 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 and I'm getting this person and I'm hiring this person and I'm a champion for this person, then you have to realize that there's a human being behind that person. And then inevitably this person is going to have moments of adversity, right? I mean, you're hiring from a consultant on his first year, or if you're hiring a new senior partner, you're hiring them because you're betting on them and because you're going to give them a mantle of protection when that comes. And I, I do think that it separates very quickly those people that are willing to go to bat for you, that are willing to fight the fight, regardless of how uncomfortable that position may be. I mean, maybe they had a horrible complication and maybe it wasn't the best course of action. But do you give up on that person? When, when the track record of their life has been phenomenal? And do you save face value or political value or not? And so I think that's very important. Lorenzo, do you think you've had great bosses <laughs> in your life? No, I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a matter of, uh, I think that the secret is to care. So essentially, I'm a good boss. I'm a good friend. I'm a good uh, husband if I care. And actually, I mean, of course, I had in the past people who cared. And then when the, the things switch to a different level with different people, especially if you talk about, you know, departmental chiefs or something like that. So if, for example, 
if the department switched from a surgeon to a gastroenterologist, it's more difficult that the gastroenterologist will understand surgical complications. And again, if the if the gastroenterologist is more focused on, you know, <clears throat> let's say achieving a career in uh, in medical management, is again, she is he or she is less. Um, let's say prone to understand uh, surgical complications because I mean every complication that you have is a complication that she or he as a departmental chief has and this complication is sort of a, is a sort of stain on her career so essentially in many times we as clinicians we react in a way in a des- defensive way you know like it, like the defensive medicine you try to do all the scans that you can in order to justify that you can't do anything, or you try to, let's say, in a way to, I don't want to use this word, but actually I will use it because I don't think I can find a better one to punish the guy or the, you know, or the, the doctor or the girl, whatever that you have under you in order to say, okay, I've done everything I could to try to investigate, try to limit this practice, blah, blah, blah. So I think it's, uh, if you care, if you really listen, if you really put yourself in his or her shoes of the guy, of course, you have under you, then you're a, bo- a good boss. Because, I mean, this is what means to, again, develop empathy. And you were a clinician too, so it's easy for you probably to understand, even if you were not like a, the most amazing clinician pushing boundaries everywhere, but you should be able to understand this kind of struggle. But, you know, it's it's a matter of time that you want to dedicate. It's a matter of psychological effort there are loads of factors which could affect this relationship between you and your boss. And a good boss, as I said, is the one who cares. So let's put ourselves in a situation and you're facing adversity. Something really bad has happened to you in the working environment. There's potentially a process going on, the investigation. Let's talk about some tools that you may use uh, in order to go through this process. It's very important to have good friends that you can talk to, right? Because the biggest mistake that, uh, that I've seen when people face adversity is isolation. Lucas, I, I, I love your, your, your thoughts because I've reached out to you when I've got complications. You've reached out to me. It seems like it's really important to have that that person or, or those few people that understand the complexity of what you do, that understand the stress of the decisions that you take on a daily basis, and that will have to Lorenzo's word of the day, the empathy to put themselves in your shoes. So what would be your, your thoughts and your advice in that one moment that somebody's going through some tough times at work? Yeah. I'm not going to go into the details, but you know, my first job was in San Antonio. Then I moved to Austin. Here, I had a situation where I dealt with adversity, and it was really, really tough. Like really tough. And you know, we've always been very good friends. So, one of the things that really made me feel well was calling my friends that work in this, like, and just hash it all out and just talk and you kind of people when people that you respect give you positive feedback understanding it just makes the burden way less and then after you call your best friend and mentor you should call a lawyer 
<laughs> right away. That's that's, very, that's a very American answer, to be honest. That is a very American. Yeah, you should do that uh, right away. It doesn't matter what anybody says. Call a lawyer. And then the other thing that really helps is is I mean your significant other. Like that that person is. If you have a good person by your side, it just makes things so much better. So and then then you kind of like see the value of that person. Like and it's at its at your worst, it's just an amazing thing to have that. So if you're lucky enough to have that, then that's a big plus. And then after that, just like understand what happened and understand that that you did things always for the best of that person you were treating, your patient. And rest assured with that. And then just just be prepared to to go through some tough times, man. I think that the first thing you need to do, at, at least it works in my own small world, is to talk to yourself. <clears throat> because, I mean, uh, you mentioned before, you know, like the difficult uh, ladder that we all need to climb in order to reach this level of attendant, consultant, as you want to call it, to a specialist, a full trained specialist. And many times we lose uh, the connection with ourselves because we're very focused on targets, we're very focused on exams, on, you know, achievements, on PhD or whatever. And then we lose the connection with our inner self, you know, and that's actually a thing in moments like these, you need to stop and look at you in a very neutral way without being biased. And actually I think this, this can happen only if you ask for help to a therapist to a professional, to psychotherapist, you know, to mental coach or whatever. I mean, it's important to get someone else who is uh, actually not biased, not involved with you from uh, years. For example, I could be a partner or from forever. We could be your family. So I think that, you know, if you involve a professional in order to understand better why you, anyway, there's always a little reason why you end up in a situation. I think that could be very beneficial for your future. And after that, I think the best is to speak, of course, uh, uh, with your friends, with your community, always very honest and loud about what happens to me. I don't want to to hide anything. And I think it's very beneficial because the more you open to people, the more you feel like uh, it's normal. And the more you open yourself to people, the more the people are open to yourself. So it's amazing. Like, oh, I mean, I got this. Ah, okay, I also got this. But I didn't know. Oh, but I didn't know. So no one knows, but it's good to open yourself to other people in the community. And last but not least, I think it's also good to open with uh, people who are not uh, in the medical field. Because, I mean, probably they get shades of what happens, which are different compared to what yourself or medical community can uh, do. For example, I mean, uh, you know, we are in Europe that, as I said before, uh, no one is paid for the amount of uh, uh, work which we provide. So essentially, this guy who works in finance, he works in finance in London, means like he earned a lot of money, probably <laughs> easily four or five times of what I do. And uh, I was talking about my a little bit of uh, uh, struggle. I mean, let's call it a little bit of struggle anyway, a bad complication which I had with the patient who had a rotic rupture doing a lower limb recanalization, just to make it clear. And uh, the guy said to me, oh, I mean, you're doing the most difficult cases in your in your uh, place. And I said, yes. And as a finance guy, he told me, uh, did they pay you more? 
And I said, no. <laughs> Why do you do that? No. And actually, yeah. that makes no sense. If it's coming from you, Miguel, I will never expect you to ask me this question because we talk about on a different level. We talk about a level of excitement, of doing things that no one else can do, or you, 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 it's your life. You don't even think about this. But to have just, this was just an example, but to have a perspective, of course, uh, uh, of another person, it, which is not involved in in the medical community so it could be also great i mean i'm not saying that i ask for a better a better salary but i'm saying you open your mind to different thoughts and actually this is great so yeah i would suggest yourself medical community family and friends and also friends who are outside the medical field therapy with you know professional therapists is something that everybody should do at some point in their lives. Everybody um, should. And actually, every time I talk about this, people say, oh, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Say, no, no one is okay because everyone has his own things. For example, I, I used to say with my psychotherapist at the beginning, like I feel like, uh, um, you know, Valentino Rossi, I don't know if you know him anyway, he's a very famous uh, driver of motorbikes. And actually, you always go at any kind of, let's say, any kind of uh, pilot. It goes uh, to 300 kilometers an hour all the time. And he pushes the boundaries as much as he can. And uh, in a long life career, he or she will know he will fall at some stage. But he doesn't know when, he doesn't know why, and he doesn't know how bad it will be after he or she falls. Because, I mean, sometimes people, like uh, with motorbikes, you know, they do like this kind of amazing falls with like uh, pirouettes in the sky. Then they, they, they land on the floor and then they start walking normally. Some people like uh, Ayrton Senna, I would say, they go straight, a very short track, and they die. So essentially, is it safe in our own profession to feel like uh, like, uh, like a pilot? No, I don't think so. So essentially, you also need to, of course, you have different uh, characters. Everyone has his own uh, weaknesses, his own uh, strength. But also, you need to understand that you work in an environment which is, you know, we need to be very concrete and understand that the environment is not asking you to overperform and sometimes one over a thousand times fall. It's asking you maybe to overperform five times and to safely and uh, perform in all the cases. So essentially it's a good, honest conversation you need to have with yourself and whoever doesn't have different points, of course, different weaknesses, is not going to change. It's not going to achieve anything, to be honest with you. Not that I've had a ton of therapists throughout my life or my career, but I had a few and you have to find somebody that you finally relate to and you have to give that process a little time until you realize how much you're unpacking and how much of the burden you keep inside. And so it, it becomes a very good exercise. And I, I really can't stress this enough that it is not a sign of weakness. If anything, I view it as a sign of maturity. The moment that you're ready to work on shit, the moment that you're ready to allow yourself, and here's the, the power of, of the conversation, which is you have to be vulnerable enough, which in many ways means that you are very brave. I'm uh, blanking right now on, on this phenomenal uh, therapist that, that I've followed for many years, but she goes and dives into how strong and how uh, intense you have to be to be able to be vulnerable with somebody else, right? So, which means I have 
the strength to come to you and lay in front of you my biggest weakness. And that's a very powerful thing. I mean, that goes that goes to, you know, probably the cornerstone of relationships with, with your partner at home. But it becomes important as a physician too, to be okay with having vulnerabilities and to be okay to share those with those people that are not threatening to you, right? And that's a very important part. And so finding the group of people, and that could be a therapist, that could be the friend, where you could be okay letting your guard down and say, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm going through. And it's I think okay that not to be okay, as we say. It, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But it's just, it's so important that you have the courage to lay that vulnerability out there because you know that it's not going to be weaponized, right? And that's, it's kind of like you have to tell your, your partner how weak you are at something because you trust them to not turn around and use that against you. So guys, as we kind of start landing You're all in education. Lorenzo, you're flying all over the world. By the way, we're going to see each other soon. All three. Hey, hey. like the Spider-Man. <laughs> we're going to see each other in Mexico. Yeah, we're going to see. Yeah, we're going to be all together in Mexico. My wife has this funny thing and she goes with me sometimes to these meetings and she's like, so it's basically the same guys. You go all <laughs> over the world and you give the same talks. And I like. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're changing the with this thing, maybe. No, yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna do something else. Hey, we should maybe. Hey, we should do a podcast. Uh, Ali, our producer back here. Ali, we're going to Mexico. Yeah, we're going to. And Mexico, we're gonna record Ali. podcasts yeah. in Mexico. Okay, yes. there you go. <laughs> Ali's it. Uh, no, no, I was just trying to land on. We're in education. You've got residents, trainees. I don't currently have any. I don't know, Lorenzo, if you have any residents or trainees, but we're certainly involved in education. What could we do or what should the educational system do in order to help people be ready for these moments? Like it seems like we need a little bit more training, more direction uh, as we're getting. So I, I'd like, Lucas, I'll start with you. What do you uh, think we should be doing with trainees to empower them with the capacity to deal with adversity in, in a more intelligent way and not let themselves be destroyed by it? Well, I'm going to have the problematic opinion of this. Because I think residents need adversity and we need to provide a controlled environment where they de deal with adversity. There's a little bit of overprotection around it. And it's what I tell them because sometimes I am like sarcastic and sometimes I am kind of a dick. Um, <laughs> but it's, I believe it's that. on purpose because at the end of the day, they kind of know by my actions that I, I got them. I got you, you know, and no, doesn't matter what. At the end of the day, I got you, dude, or do that or whatever. I don't know. Do uh, that. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. very 1970s. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, so I do it even though you're feeling uncomfortable. I'm doing this out of kind of love for you because when you're out there by yourself, you kind of have to deal with this. And you might not have somebody that has your back. So in my perspective, when I'm hard on a resident, I'm kind of like giving them a practice. It's like, this is real life. Because the experience of dealing with the administration, 
with the other physicians, with even like the prospect of losing your privileges is really bad. The worst thing is when you know that something that you did or you then even worse, something that you did, something you didn't do hurts a patient. It messes with me. I, you know, just think about it. When I make a mistake constantly for weeks and I go like, next time I'll do this and next time I'll do that. And I think that's a good thing, even though it's kind of like a fucked up mental process. But I feel like it makes, I rationalize it that it will make me a better clinician, practitioner, doctor, and I'll be better for my patients, even though it's hard. We like hard things. It's why we do this. If we didn't do hard things, we'd be bored. Let me dissect through and say, I think you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, is the way that we get them ready for adversity is uh, in a way with tough love, right? It's, it's just creating uh, moments of, of such. The problem I have with that, steel mining, the opposite is, is there's no structure to that, right? And it's very, it's, it's a very personal thing. It's a very Lucas Ferrer way of, of dealing with, right? And they're going to remember you for the way that you provided the tough love that in a way readied them to take command. But I believe there should be a little more structure to the way that we provide them. Lourdes, so do you have any ideas of what we could do? Yeah, I mean, like uh, I'm a very uh, fan of uh, presenting obligations. And actually... I mean, uh, the tough love can be also, let's say, transferred to people in a sweeter way. Essentially, I would say, listen, guys, I was stuck with this. I was struggling, but not like the complication that you can solve. Because this is like, it's it's also a good point, like uh, tips and tricks to come out from complication. I won the complication where you got stuck, you couldn't get out, and you ended up being, you know, let's say in a way, defeated by the complication. And actually... When I do my FOA, my, my Congress here in uh, London, I mean, I have the first section is all about that. Cases which went wrong, not which went wrong. And then all of a sudden we found the magic wand and we found the solution to solve our problems. I want the cases which end up badly. Because by doing this, say, guys, I had this complication. Uh, I'm cool if I can manage a complication which I have. Because we can say, oh, we all have complication, but I was a cool guy that resolved it. Yes, maybe resolve it was not enough. So I want people to share the very bad cases where you said, you know, like even if I'm experiencing this, even if I'm one of the guys who always go around talking about the same stuff all the time, I couldn't make it that time because, you know, even if I'm very experienced, this thing that now comes to my mind didn't come to my mind at the time. And by doing this, you can you can really put people at ease because they like if. You know, it, it can happen. And especially residents said, okay, fine. I mean, it's not always uh, like uh, uh, roses and uh, flowers, you know, what you do. is always uh, putting, as as we said before, yourself trying to do your best. But sometimes, and hopefully very rarely, I would say, but but very rarely, you can't make it. And uh, to share this is, uh, is good love. So, yeah, this is one of my solutions. So I think... It's a great uh, solution. A few take-home messages are are certainly <clears throat> inevitably this is going to happen to everybody mm -hmm. right uh i i tweeted the other day 
something that uh, a professor of mine told me very early. He said, if you don't want any complications, don't, don't operate. operate yeah. Period. Right? Yeah. Just- and actually, there are, there are two types of surgeons who have no complications. The one who don't operate and the ones who lie. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So if inevitably this is going to happen, I think that you have to be ready and you have to have a toolbox. And that toolbox, you know, after our brief conversation today, I think is be ready to have communication, be ready to have a close network of people you could talk to, be ready to be vulnerable at that time uh, with the right people that you trust and have uh, be brave enough to bring that vulnerability take care of yourself through the process, mental health, uh, therapy, you know, all these things are important for us to be, to have the resilience to get through these things. And at the end, try to come victorious through it, be a better person after that, right? Look back, don't let yourself be overtaken by hate. Forget about revenge. That's another thing. And if someone did something to you, don't focus on your life to do something back because that's just a waste of time, which will never bring you anywhere. Perfectly said. Don't come out of this with the intention to hit back or strike back. Come out of this with the intention of moving past it and being a better person at that. And with that, my dear friend, I hope that you can continue toasting in the sun of Italy. Italy. And thank you again for uh, for giving uh, our listeners here a little bit of your, uh, obviously, charisma, but uh, life teachings. Uh, and thank you very much. And amazing. Yeah, thank you good. so much. Yeah, it's amazing. It was great, guys, to connect with you. And I can't wait to, to have a better conversation in front of a Mexican beer live in Mexico City then. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, guys. Pura Vida. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.